are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. We'll be reading today from the book of Matthew, chapter 8. When he, Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. This is the word of the Lord. I am hardly ever one of the first people to get in on a new trend. Uh, I prefer to let other people jump in and figure it out and learn from their experience. But uh, unfortunately, I did not get to do that when, against my will, I became an early adopter of COVID in March of 2020. Uh, You guys remember what that was like uh, spring two years ago uh, when COVID, coronavirus, was this big, scary unknown? Uh, We we were wiping everything down and bathing in hand sanitizer and keeping our distance because we weren't totally sure exactly how it was transmitted or who had it because we didn't really have good tests yet and we didn't know how long it stayed in your system and we weren't really sure when it was safe to be around you after you had it. And unfortunately... I became one of the early adopters for that experience uh, among most of the people that we knew when COVID first just was a big thing, right? Now, uh, fortunately in our house, we have an extra bedroom and a bathroom on the the downstairs. So I was able to quarantine at home pretty effectively. Uh, But my wife, Amelia, and our daughter, Isabel, were understandably a little cautious about that. Uh, Amelia would make me meals and sort of slide it in the room and run away as quick as she could. Uh, it almost felt like being in prison, like she's going to slide it through that little slot in the door. And uh, if I came out of the room, I heard one of them say, get back in the room. Anyway, I kind of thought they were plotting to get me a little bell that I had to ring and say, unclean, you know, whenever I, whenever I came out. Uh, And then when I recovered, people were understandably a little hesitant to be around me, right? Like, this is all new. I know what the CDC says, but what if they're wrong? And I don't know that I want to take any chances. I mean, this is serious, right? Like, we we get it. it. It's one thing when it's a sickness that you'll likely get over. But what if it's not a sickness that you get over? I mean, some of us, some people have long-term debilitating diseases or health conditions and maybe even communicable diseases that keep them from being able to be around people. And sometimes it's not physical illness, right? Sometimes it's something else that makes people draw back from us or makes us pull away from people. Most of us have had the experience of being held at arm's length by someone right? Like being on the outside, looking in through the window to something you're not a part of because you weren't cool enough or rich enough or popular enough or educated enough or or whatever enough. And that starts to do things to you. It's even more significant when we think about our relationship to God in those terms. Because for most of us, if we know anything about God, we know that he's 
above. He's beyond. He's holy. He's different. He's definitely not us. And I know that God is holy and I am not. And it can feel maybe sometimes like hearing about God or being around other people who are following God can make me see how unholy I am, can make me feel like how far God is from someone like me or wanting to be around someone like me. Well, today in this passage, there's good news from what we see of Jesus because Jesus' presence restores wholeness. Jesus' presence restores wholeness. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. We're just looking at these first four verses uh, on page 966, these black Bibles in front of you. Uh, Jesus has been up on the hillside, right? And, and he's been explaining what life in God's kingdom looks like, how we experience it in relationship with him and, and how we live it out, how we enter into the wholeness of life with God. And last Sunday, as, as we finish that look at the Sermon on the Mount, as we call it, now we're going into a new section in the book of Matthew. Jesus comes down off the mountain, and now he's moving from not just talking about what life in God's kingdom looks like, but actually showing us and interacting with people in everyday life. And, and what does the kingdom look like when Jesus brings it to us in reality? So we're continuing in Matthew's gospel, but we're starting a new series where we're looking at the God who draws near. Because that's what we're going to look at for the next couple of chapters in Matthew's gospel, is Jesus coming down into the reality of our everyday lives and showing what happens when the kingdom, the life of God, enters our world. And how we experience his healing and his help and his hope and his rescue and his transformation. And the first story that Matthew tells us is about this guy who has this skin disease of some kind, and he approaches Jesus, and he walks away completely transformed. And that's what we want to see, how Jesus' presence restores wholeness. Now, we're also starting a new season of Cut for Time, which is our Faith Church weekly podcast where the preaching pastor sits down and has an opportunity to talk a little bit about things that we didn't have time to cover uh, in the message and answer questions about the, about the passage. So uh, if you're interested and if you have your Faith Church app or you have the Faith Church texting number in your phone, you can text in questions, which we encourage you to do, and uh, we may get them in our podcast this week. So uh, let's jump into our story here in Matthew chapter 8. First verse, when he, when Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds are following him. So again, this is after the Sermon on the Mount. All these people are following him, and, uh, and this man with leprosy shows up. In verse 2, a, a leper came and knelt before him. Now, I imagine, like my Bible, yours probably has a little note there with an explanation saying this word uh, leprosy was a term for several skin diseases. In English, when we hear leper, again, I'm, I'm not a doctor and I kind of hesitate to do this with so many medical professionals here, just quoting a dictionary, but my understanding is that what we call leprosy generally is Hansen's disease, is the other name for it. But th this word that was used in the Old and the New Testament could cover a variety of incurable skin conditions. So we don't know exactly what it was he had, but this is serious. 
Uh, It's untreatable according to their medicine, and both Jewish law and custom said that people have to keep their distance from this guy. Like almost, you, you could almost envision having to ring the bell and crying out unclean and telling people, warning them, keep away, I'm not safe. And this is the guy who comes and sort of throws himself down at Jesus' feet and says, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, again, just a quick pause here. The the ESV translation there is literally accurate, but it's potentially confusing because our word will in English can mean a couple different things, right? It can refer to something that might happen in the future, like I will go to the grocery store. But it can also refer to a desire or wish or intent. I am willing to go to the grocery store. And that's the sense that is in view here. The word is usually translated to intend, to determine, to desire. And most translations have, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Because that's what this guy is saying. And this is really important. Because what he's saying is significant, and I think we tend to mishear this guy. I think I often have heard him and and understood him to be saying, if you are able, will you make me clean? It's not what he's asking. Notice he assumes that Jesus has the power to heal him. His question is, does Jesus have the willingness to heal him? In other words, Jesus is capable of dealing with this condition. What he's not certain about is whether Jesus would do something to help someone like him. What he's really asking is, would you help someone like me with what I have, with who I am? And what does Jesus do in verse 3? Notice how the, the story focuses in on this moment. Matthew almost goes into like a slow motion capture of this. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be clean. And and immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. And and Jesus says something that we'll talk about in a minute. But but that's basically the story, right? I mean, it's it's pretty simple. And if you don't know anything about Jesus, you, you could just read this story and come away with some pretty keen insight, right? Like, is Jesus a good guy or a bad guy? I mean, he's a great guy, right? He's compassionate. He's caring. He's other-centered. He's he's willing to help. He doesn't just talk about love and kindness and doing good to others. He actually does it. But, But it's so much more than that. Think about how significant it is for this guy. People with this kind of whatever skin condition he had, were isolated outside of town. They, they had to be isolated because their disease was contagious. When is the last time that someone touched this man? That someone hugged him? That someone embraced him? Right? What happens to us when we're deprived of human contact? Nothing good. Right? Like we become anxious. We, we become depressed. And and that's what this man has been living with. And and Matthew focuses on Jesus reaching out to touch this lonely, isolated, excluded, suffering man that no one else wants to be near. Because Jesus' presence brings wholeness. But it's even more incredible than that. 
Because, you see, for somebody who, who knows the story of the Old Testament scriptures, this is challenging a key idea of what we think God is like and how he relates to people like us. It's wrapped up in an, in an important word here in verse 2. At the end, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, why does he say that? It's not that he's dirty, right? I mean, he's got a skin disease, but you can have a skin disease and still practice good hygiene. I mean, he can brush his teeth and, and bathe and everything. There's a perfectly good word in Greek and Hebrew for healing that he does not use and the Bible does not generally use for addressing this condition. Of course, the man is asking about healing, but, but he's asking for something more than that. He's asking to be made clean again. And that opens up a whole new layer of significance to this story. And to understand why, we, we need to go back to dig into these concepts for a little bit of holiness and cleanness and purity and, and impurity. And, and see again how this story changes maybe some of the ways we think about God. Okay, quick review summary. If you go all the way back to the beginning, God created humans in his image to live in community with him in this beautiful environment, in this garden, and then we blow it, right? We turn away from God. We literally bring hell on earth. But God is not willing to leave us there, and he's determined to reestablish his presence and his life and his goodness with people in this world. And so he chooses one family, the family of Abraham, to do that with, who's, who's going to be the channel of bringing blessing into the world. And they end up in slavery, and then uh, you've probably seen the movie, right? Uh, later, God raises up Moses to lead them out, and they come out of Egypt, out of, out of this oppression, and they come to God's holy mountain. And now this is important. God wants his people to be the center of blessing and life and his presence in the world, right? And, and to restore that relationship with him that, that we were made for but we've lost. But because he's the source of all life and goodness, he wants to plant his presence in the middle of his people. And in the Old Testament, that was centralized in this special tent in the middle of the camp called the tabernacle where God's unique, holy, life-giving purposes and, and presence would dwell. And God describes the significance of that all throughout, you know, books like Leviticus and, and Numbers, you know, things like, I am the Lord your God, make yourselves holy and be holy because I am holy. You shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the all these defiling things that are around them. God is holy and he's going to come live among his people, so they're supposed to be holy. So to get what that means, we have to understand what is, what is holiness? What does that mean? For most of us, when we think of holiness, what do we think of? We, we probably think of morality, right? Doing good things and, and avoiding bad things. You know, we talk about people who are holier than thou, which means they have this idea that they're morally superior to other people. And in the Bible, holiness is connected to morality, but it's not, the, it's not the main concept there. The basic meaning of holiness is to be unique, to be set apart, to be distinct, and to live or exist for a different purpose. And God is holy, and therefore the space where God dwells is holy, and the people around him have to be holy. 
an analogy that uh, I ran across from another uh, guy that I think is helpful is uh, the idea of an operating room. Okay? How many of you have been to a hospital at some point in your life, visited someone, been to a hospital? How many of you have had an operation performed in an operating room? Okay, fewer, a, a good number, right? Now that's interesting, right? Uh, we, we, most of us have not been in operating rooms, and for those of us who have, it's only been for a unique purpose, for a limited period of time, and for a specific reason. We could say it's holy, it's set apart, it's unique. What is an operating room for? It's for bringing life and healing and restoring what's gone broken in people's lives. That's the only reason an operating room exists and the only reason you're supposed to go in there. You don't go into an operating room to like to play cards, right? Or to eat lunch or do paperwork. And there are special set-apart people who can go into the operating room. Doctors, nurses, surgeons, and, and they've been trained and they're committed to living out the purposes that that room exists for. And when they or any of us go into that room, we have to be clean, right? Why? Be because there's stuff out here that would contaminate what's supposed to be happening in that room. And, you know, there might be mud on my shoe, and so I've got to take my shoes off and wear special clothes, and I've got to wash my hands. I, I can't just go in in any way. You, you don't go in with, you know, a runny nose because you're going you're gonna to cough germs into an open wound in someone, and that's not really good in an operating room. You're going to contaminate it. And in the Bible, God's holiness is kind of like that. God is unique. He's the author and the source of life and all that is good and beautiful and just and pure. And so there's this distinction, this separation between anything that would contaminate or dilute or defile his presence and life. So uncleanness or impurity is like a status. It's like having a cold or a sickness, right? Imagine somebody whose pet dies and they've gone and buried it in the backyard and they, they've got seasonal allergies and they're coughing and sneezing and everywhere and they don't walk, wash their hands and they walk into the operating room, right? Like that's a disaster. That's gross. I don't want that person operating on me because they're going to contaminate everything. And we get that, right? And, and the significance is that we are all, all of us in some way are marked by death and decay and disease so that we should not come into the holy space where the author of life is. That's what all of those rules and rituals in the Old Testament are about. And then you have to separate yourself so that you don't contaminate other people and make them unclean because uncleanness, impurity, is contagious, just like germs, right? Impurity is transferable. We get that. That's why we kept our distance from one another during COVID and wore masks and washed our hands and all that. So if you are unclean, for example, because of a skin disease, you have to separate yourself. You have to go outside the camp and, and then... If you get better after seven days, you take a bath and you give the offering to the priests and, and you're fine. That's it. Except for this guy. Because this guy has this skin disease that has gone on and on and on and on for some unknown period of time. And then he's on the outside 
forever. And to avoid contaminating God's people and God's presence and bringing death and decay in, you send unclean people outside the camp. And he's forever indefinitely excluded from worship and community and connection. This guy is a picture of all of us. Because in some way, we're all infected. We're all corrupted with brokenness and decay and mess and we're screwed up and we're impure and we're unclean. And God is the author of all life and everything that's holy and pure and the Old Testament says there's nothing for us to do but stay at a distance. But the story doesn't end there because God's purpose was never that that would remain a permanent situation, that we're excluded from him. Because we, we come forward from the Old Testament and, and even the beginning of Matthew's gospel, we now see God becoming a human being. And one of the names that's given to Jesus at his birth is Emmanuel, God with us. God's holy presence is actually going to take up residence, is going to be embodied in a human being, Jesus. And, and now Jesus grows up to maturity and he's teaching in this Sermon on the Mount about what uh, God's life looks like and, and what happens when the kingdom of God comes to us and how we live in that kingdom. And, and now we see God's life and presence coming into the reality of this broken man. And we see what happens when this man who has a skin disease, who's barred from worship, he can't go to the temple, he's excluded from the community. What happens when his impurity intersects with the holiness of God? And what Leviticus says should happen is Jesus becomes impure. And he's defiled. And he becomes unclean. But what actually happens is the opposite. Not only does this man's uncleanness not defile Jesus, Jesus' holiness in a good way infects this man. Do you see that? It's Jesus' holiness that is contagious. It transfers to this man and it wipes away his uncleanness and restores him because Jesus' presence restores wholeness. Do, do you see that? You get that here? Again, I know these, these are not our cultural categories, but if you grew up with this biblical worldview of clean and unclean and holy and impure, you would see how radical this is. God shows up in the person of Jesus and people's impurity and corruption is not threatening to him at all. It doesn't intimidate him. It's not a danger for him. See, at the end of Jesus' teaching, people are saying, you know, we've never heard anyone talk with such authority. It's, it's like he's speaking for God. Yes, that's, that's exactly it. That's right. And now we see what happens when Jesus, the presence of God, actually comes into our world and into our lives and he moves towards people whose bodies and communities and worldviews and mindsets and relationships have all been corrupted, are all diseased and broken. And what happens is Jesus is not 
turned off. He's not intimidated. He's not threatened. He's not disgusted. He moves towards us in our uncleanness. And he brings his holiness, his cleanness, his wholeness to us. Jesus says, not only am I able, I am willing. Be clean. That's my purpose. That his holiness would become contagious and in a good way infect us and infect the world around us. Because Jesus' presence brings wholeness. Look at what Jesus then goes on to say to this man in verse 4 that that we just touched on briefly. See that you say nothing to anyone. Okay, first of all, it's not a huge thing, right? Like Jesus at this point in his ministry recognizes people don't really get who the Messiah is and what he's going to be like. So I'm I'm trying to keep my ministry a a little quiet at this point. Don't go around telling everyone the Messiah has come because they think all kinds of crazy things. But go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice, offer the gift that Moses commanded as a proof or a testimony to them. So he's not just telling this man, hey, I want you to obey the Old Testament law. I mean, that's important. Obey what God commanded. But in the Old Testament world, where was God's holiness located? It was in the temple, right? That's where holiness lives. And and we've got all these fences and protections to keep that holiness from being corrupted. But Jesus has come and and he's creating a whole, helping people see a whole different dynamic of how God relates to us in this world. God's holiness is not located in a particular place anymore. It's not here. It's, It's not, you know, in church on Sunday morning. It's not limited in that way. And and Jesus very presence embodies God's holiness reaching out and changing us and spreading out to the world. And then being examined by the priests is important because it means this man can now be restored back to his work and his life and his family and his community and his relationships. Remember, these these people with these diseases had to live off by themselves and Jesus Work, Jesus' presence brings wholeness to all of this man's life, to his body, to his vocation, to his community. Because Jesus' presence restores wholeness. This is, guys, this is amazing. This is the the Jesus that we worship, right? So how how does God speak a word to us in this? What does this story mean for us? Whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, but especially if you're a follower of Jesus, there are times where we know that we blow it. We we violate our consciences. We ignore what God has commanded us to do. You've hurt yourself. You've hurt other people, right? Like, we can think of those times. Anyone? Not, you don't have to, no show of hands, but we shouldn't have to think long and hard about that. Now, what goes on in your mind after you fail in some way, morally? Well, for many of us, I think we can tend to feel like God's ashamed of me. I'm at a distance from God now, and and we can end up actually avoiding Jesus because somehow we think he's disgusted with us. He's disappointed in us. He's embarrassed to be seen with us. He's turned off. He's withdrawn. 
because of what we've done. And you probably know what I'm talking about here, right? I mean, we end up avoiding meeting with Jesus' presence in other Christians. We end up trying to avoid connecting with Jesus in his word. We end up avoiding Jesus in prayer. We end up avoiding meeting with Jesus in our regular Sunday gatherings. We hold back from meeting with Jesus in the bread and the cup because we think, I can't go near. I'm not clean enough. I've messed up and Jesus is standing back. But you need to understand from this that Jesus passionately disagrees with you about that. Do you see that? The gospel tells us that God is not intimidated. He's not turned off. He's not disgusted. He doesn't turn away because of our brokenness, our uncleanness, our weakness. In fact, he moves towards you. Jesus comes to you in your brokenness and your sin and your mess and being screwed up and not being able to fix it yourself. And people encounter Jesus, yes, we're pushed then to acknowledge our brokenness and our uncleanness. But we're not consumed by it, right? Like fire from God's presence doesn't reach out and burn us. We're not destroyed by coming into God's holiness. We're transformed instead. We're purified and changed some of us are uh, old enough to remember, or maybe you've seen in uh, old movies, doctors used to actually go to people's houses to visit them when they were sick. Like you can see an old TV show with the, you know, the guy with the suit, and he's got the little black bag, and he's got his doctor stuff in there, and he would go to you in your bedroom because you were too ill to come to him. And, and he would examine you and give you whatever treatment you needed, and This is like Jesus coming out of the operating room, taking the healing and the health and the holiness that we need and bringing it to us to bring the the health and the restoration and the cleansing that that he alone can offer. And yeah, he's going to diagnose what's wrong and he's going to help you see it and he's going to offer to heal you. See, the amazing thing in the stories of Jesus is not that sinners come to Jesus. It's that Jesus goes to sinners. That's the whole story of the gospel. That's God becoming a human being to come to the broken people in their brokenness. And it doesn't mean that encountering Jesus, well, then, you know, Jesus forgives me and I can do whatever I want. No, I mean, when when we encounter him, he's going to purify us. That's the reason he comes. But that's good news for people like you and me. And Jesus is saying, don't hang back. Don't hang your head. I know, and and I want to heal you. I want to cleanse you. I'm willing. Secondly, if we've been reached by Jesus' touch and his wholeness, and we're connected to him by faith, if we're a part of him, he's now using us to advance his mission and his work in other people's lives and and in this world, right? To follow Jesus means we're following him and what he's come to do, to reach out to people that others may tend to overlook or hang back from, to extend Jesus' healing and welcome and to point them to the one who can heal them. There are probably people that you tend to withdraw from, 
people that you hang back from, people that maybe you look at as kind of, well, maybe they're uncool or they're unclean or, you know, that lifestyle they're living. I, you know, I don't want to be around them. I, I, I'm not sure that I could envision God using me to reach out and touch them and love them. All of us probably have people that we don't want to be around because we don't want to be infected by them, right? Who is it for you? I mean, often it's people like the poor or maybe the elderly in nursing homes or, or people in prison. You know, I find it interesting how Jesus says he will cite our unwillingness to reach out and love and welcome and care for those people on the outside as evidence that we don't really love him. Man, that's sobering. It's humbling. It's convicting. Because if we've been touched and loved and, and cleansed and healed by Jesus, we cannot keep that to ourselves, right? Because that's not who Jesus is. That's, that's not what Jesus does. The holiness that God brings to us in Christ is not something that we, we have to sort of protect and guard and, and keep away so that it doesn't get infected by those people out there. Jesus sends us out just like he went out from the Father to bring his life and his healing and his cleansing and hope to others. And it's a reminder, too, that Jesus cares not just about souls, but he cares about bodies. He cares about relationships and connections and community because that's what he's restoring this man to. That's why Christians care not just about protecting the unborn, but, but addressing the causes of unplanned pregnancy and supporting families and supporting women. And uh, we care about people living in decent housing and, and that bodies are healed and minds are educated and, uh, and families are strengthened and employers provide good paying jobs so that can, people can feed themselves and, and live decently. See, Jesus cares for all these people to get overlooked, the, the people who are voiceless and disadvantaged and helpless. And he sends us out to do the same, to, to work for life and wholeness for bodies and souls and communities. That's what his people do. So if you're here, and, and, or maybe you can even think of a time in your life when, when you felt like, Man, I, after what I've done, I just, man, I don't know that I can come. I don't know that I can be in Jesus' presence. I'm sure he's disappointed. I'm sure he's maybe turned off, holding back, hanging back. Come to Jesus with the confidence and the assurance that he has both the power and the desire to cleanse you. And go with confidence and, and the presence and the power of Jesus to take that wholeness and that healing to offer it to others and to point them to the one who brings wholeness. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus' presence restores wholeness. That you care about our whole lives. Body, soul, community, work, connections, all of it. And we see in, in this story of Jesus, you're moving towards us, broken, weak, sick, needy people, to restore us and to make us whole, to make us holy, and then to take that, as Jesus does, out 
to the people around us. Oh God, whether we are people that already know you or people who don't really know Jesus yet, we come to you thankful for this picture of who Jesus is for us and asking that you would help us receive. Receive Jesus' wholeness and his life and use us to bring it to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.